Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Real Me, where we learn how this new little sister sees the world, but not necessarily who or what she really is. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. As to Real Me, we'll talk about starting in media res, in this case, in the middle of Dawn's world, who the protagonist is, Dawn or Buffy, creating suspense by holding back from the audience, and Dawn's role as a little sister who maybe is a little bit younger than she ought to be. There will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Real Me aired the first time on October 3, 2000. It was directed by David Grossman and written by David Fury. There is commentary on the DVD from both David Grossman and David Fury. I can't always tell which one is talking, so I may just refer to them as the Davids. We start with opening conflict in a training room, and here that conflict relates directly to what I'll call Dawn's plot. Giles intones calming meditative phrases as Buffy, with her eyes shut, relaxes and concentrates. Then she opens her eyes and does a handstand, balancing perfectly on this thick board that is set the long way on the floor. So she's got a very small uh, surface there to balance on. New Age music plays as Giles circles her in slow motion and the camera pans to glowing crystals. Buffy raises one hand, so she's doing a one-armed handstand. And at 1 minute 33 seconds in, another hand drops an extra crystal and Buffy gasps, her concentration broken and falls down. Giles glares and we see Dawn's face. Dawn says, can we go now? And we go to credits. So this was mainly Buffy's point of view, although as I looked again, it could be Dawn the entire time watching Buffy train. We're going to start after the credits, clearly in Dawn's point of view, because she is writing in her diary with lots of underlines and exclamation points that uh, no one knows what she calls the real me, and no one cares to find out, nobody asks what she wants in her life, and no one else has an older sister who's the slayer. The voiceover continues as Buffy, Joyce, and Dawn are having breakfast or putting together breakfast. Dawn takes everything Buffy puts out, her bowl, her last of the milk, the cereal, and the David said that breakfast was almost a ballet as we see each character turning, setting something out, moving to get the next thing. And it was to show this routine and that Dawn is very much a part of the household. And then they joked it was also to show that she's a burr and that a better title for the episode is the burr. They also said one goal of the episode was to show each character dealing with Dawn in a way that shows that she's been in this world all along. All of it is in media rest, in other words, starting in the middle of things. And that's a, a literary technique. There's a playwright who is famous for it, and I 
wish I could remember his name, but you would just be plunged into the play and have to figure out what was going on. There was very little early on in the way of exposition through the dialogue that would give you the setup. And that's very much what we have here. We don't know why Dawn is here, where she came from, and yet we're seeing her so embedded in this world as if she's always been around. And the last time we saw that in Buffy was in the episode Superstar, where we came in and suddenly Jonathan is this huge part of this world. He's stronger than Buffy and everyone goes to him for things and we have to figure out along with Buffy what's happening. Dawn continues her voiceover about how people wouldn't like Buffy so much if they had to live with her and Buffy gets a pass on everything because mom says Buffy's saving the world. Dawn claims she could so save the world if someone handed her superpowers. Anne criticizes Buffy for not using a cool mask. Also, killing with wood, big deal. Scary vampires, they die from a splinter. I do enjoy some of Dawn's commentary. It's funny. At the same time, because we see her taking the last of the milk, taking the bowl Buffy put out, emptying the cereal just to get the prize, she's written to be annoying to be a burr and I'm not sure why the writers chose to do that and they didn't say on the commentary there are a couple things throughout the episode where we're supposed to suspect that she's a villain so I understand that but villains can be fun they can be engaging as in harmony in this episode or Spike or Drusilla so I don't know why Dawn is written to be both potentially a villain and annoying. But let's see what happens as we're only 10% through the episode at this point. 10% is where usually we'll see the story spark or inciting incident. And here it happens at 4 minutes, 12 seconds in, so right on time. Joyce tells Buffy to take Dawn shopping for her back-to-school supplies while Buffy goes to the magic shop with Giles. Neither Buffy nor Dawn is happy about this. Riley appears. Buffy and Riley kiss after Joyce leaves. We're still in Dawn's point of view, and she's irritated when Riley calls her kid. Buffy is surprised Riley's there. She forgot they had plans to spend the day together. Riley says he's not mad. He gets how important her new mission is. Later, Dawn and Buffy ride with Giles in his new red convertible. He sympathizes with Buffy's distress at forgetting about Riley, but tells her she can't let personal concerns distract her. At that moment, Dawn leans over from the back seat to change the radio station, and Giles snaps at her to stop and sit down. So this is more of Dawn being a burr. Her voiceover picks up. We see her again writing in her diary a about that scene, she thinks Buffy's watcher doesn't like her. And she guesses it's because he's so, and I thought she was going to say British, because that's so often the joke on Buffy, but she says old, and comments that he used the word newfangled one time, so he must be pretty far gone. In the car, Buffy comments on how many books are on the reading list that Giles gave her and jokes maybe they're available on tape. He asks, is she ready for this? And she tells him yes. Giles mistakenly puts his car into neutral because it's automatic and he loathes that. He's used to a stick shift. When Buffy asks why he bought it, he says it seduced him, all red and sporty. Plus, he was so at loose ends, he was searching, wanting to feel more, and Buffy says shallow. 
Giles suggests, given that new approach to being a slayer, she could be more respectful. And Buffy says, do I have to? Giles responds, I'm serious, Buffy. There's going to be far less time for the sort of flighty, frivolous. Dawn interrupts to say, hey, there's Willow and Tara. And Giles says, oh, they haven't seen my new car. And pulls right over to the curb. So one of my favorite parts of this episode is Giles. Nearly all of Giles' lines. And then also Harmony. Willow and Tara hug Dawn. They admire Giles' car. Willow calls Dawn her favorite chess partner. And Dawn in voiceover comments how much she loves Willow. And Willow's the only one who loves school as much as Dawn. When I first saw this episode, I remember being frustrated because I still thought the show was doing a retcon and now maybe they were trying to give us the impression that Dawn showed up maybe early in the summer and that's why Willow and everybody else knows her. I'm not sure why I persisted in thinking the show was doing this rather than something mystical. My only excuse is that I was under a lot of stress. I was a brand new lawyer and I just don't think I got it. Dawn also comments in her diary that She thinks being witches like Tara and Willow is much cooler than being a slayer. And once she told her mom she wanted Tara and Willow to teach her the things they do. And her mom got real quiet and sent her to her room. So this is different from last week where Joyce did not appear to know about Willow's and Tara's relationship. Now, did Dawn being in this world change that? Or did the writers, were they just not paying attention to last episode? Or was it just they wanted to have the joke? On the way into the magic shop, Willow admires how motivated and focused Buffy is on reading. She admires her work ethic until Buffy says she won't be able to take drama with Willow. It conflicts with her new training schedule and Giles said, Willow interrupts, the hell with Giles. And Giles says, I can hear you, Willow. Undeterred, Willow argues, but it's only two afternoons a week. Buffy says, what happened to people gotta respect a work ethic. And Willow responds, other people, not me. There's a whole best friend loophole, which I think is very realistic. It's so easy to support the uh, new work ethic or goals of our friends and people we love until it interferes with us and spending time with them. We're nearing the one quarter point in the episode where often we see the first major plot turn. It should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. So this twist is my kind of twist since I love murder mysteries at 10 minutes 37 seconds in, Willow stumbles over the magic shop owner's dead body. Buffy rushes Dawn outside before she can see very much. Dawn is not happy and she tries to peer through the blinds to see what's going on. I feel like I ought to have more sympathy for Dawn overall because I was a little sister and I remember wanting to Uh, be able to stick around when my brothers were doing something cool. Nonetheless, I don't usually have a lot of sympathy for Dawn. 
At 11 minutes, 12 seconds in, a disheveled-looking man asks Dawn what she's doing, and he frightens her. He tells her she can't loiter, there's no loitering, and you have to be quiet. That's why he's a cat. She backs away. He advances. He raves more agitated. Dawn starts to scream for Buffy, but he puts his fingers over her lips, shushes her, and says, I know you, curds and whey. I know what you are. You don't belong here. Calling back to the dream where Faith and Buffy were talking and Faith said something about Little Miss Muffet on the way. And this is the first clear confirmation that Dawn truly is new to this world. I still did not get it when I watched the first time. I didn't catch the Kurds and Way reference. And I also still thought maybe Dawn had been living with her dad. In the DVD commentary, the Davids mentioned that the man who approached Dawn was wearing a suit as if he had just walked out of his office and away from the regular world and then lost his mind. I did not notice that myself, but I think it is a great use of costuming to send a subliminal message. At 11 minutes 49 seconds in, the show cuts to a commercial. That dead shop owner could be that one-quarter twist for what I'll call Buffy's plot or the Harmony action plot because we'll find out that Harmony is the one who had the shop owner killed. For Dawn's plot, I think the one-quarter turn is this man frightening her. But I struggle with that because I'm not sure how much that turns things for Dawn herself since we don't see the resolution of that scene. When we come back, she'll talk with Tara, but she won't tell Tara about the man. So it's unclear what this does for Dawn. For all we know, she turned into some sort of giant monster and scared the man off or killed him. I'm sure that's intentional by the writers. It raises suspense. And I'll talk more in foreshadowing about how well that worked given what's coming in the season. Tara finds Dawn sitting on a step alone. And Dawn asks, is the magic shop owner dead? Tara tells Dawn, yes. Sits with her, says it's best that non-Scoobies like the two of them stay out of the way and they thumb wrestle. It's a really nice moment between Tara and Dawn, making the fact that she doesn't tell Tara what happened raise more of a question in the viewers' minds. And it's easier to do this and create suspense this way in a visual medium rather than a novel because in a novel, if we were immersed in Dawn's point of view, you would need some reason or acknowledgement by Dawn of why she doesn't tell Tara and also of why the reader doesn't find out what happened. Inside the shop at 12 minutes 59 seconds in, Giles and Buffy guess that there were about four vampires based on the destruction in the shop. So there's a new gang. Willow looks at the inventory and says they stole books, including one about the history of the Slayer. Buffy jokes that that was on her list. Now where is she going to find it? Giles chides her for being too frivolous, but then he's distracted by the shop's profit margins. No wonder they never have trouble getting new owners. And Giles continues, a place like this is a virtual Buffy interrupts death trap. Giles agrees, but the location, the pedestrian traffic... 
Buffy plans to get Riley and start looking for this new gang, but Willow reminds her she has Dawn duty, and Buffy says her mom is going to kill her. Giles responds, I bet the death rate keeps the rent down. A callback to uh, the fact that prior to this owner, we saw two other shop owners killed. Drusilla killed one and Spike killed another. Something is missing from a display case and Willow says it's not a mystical power object, but a 10-inch ceramic unicorn imported from Thailand that costs $12.95. And Giles says, which begs the question, what kind of unholy creature fancies cheap, tasteless statuary. At 14 minutes 46 seconds in, we cut to Harmony giving her minions, she calls them minions, kudos and applause for a good job on the raid. And she thanks someone for picking up the cutest little unicorn and goes on, Brad, guess someone was feeling guilty for standing me up in the 10th grade. Harmony's been skimming the book jackets of all the books they got, and they're all very useful. A vampire named Cyrus interrupts to ask, when are we going to do it? Harmony's grossed out. She barely knows him. And a bulky vamp, whose name is Mort, cuts in and says Cyril meant carry out the plan, not have sex. Harmony gushes about how psyched she is, but Mort interrupts, very mean, and asks when, and she says tonight, we kill the Slayer tonight. So there's good forward motion here, um, good pacing in this episode, lots of twists and turns. And we cut back to Dawn writing in her journal as Joyce berates Buffy for not only not getting school supplies, but bringing Dawn to a murder scene. Buffy argues they came upon it and it's not like Dawn saw the body. And Joyce says, oh, well, that makes it all right then, doesn't it? She continues that she asked for one favor and now Buffy wants to unload Dawn so she can go out with Riley. And she's not sympathetic when Buffy points out she's working, not going to the sock hop. This Joyce frustrates me. Yes, in the past, there are times Joyce has been used as an engine for conflict, so she's not always consistent. But since she found out Buffy is the Slayer, she's been pretty supportive. And maybe this is the effect of being a single mom with two kids instead of one. Or simply having Dawn changes Joyce's personality. It feels a bit off. Probably it is meant to. Joyce continues that she has to be at the gallery for a showing in half an hour. And who will watch Dawn? Dawn yells she doesn't need a babysitter. And Joyce and Buffy respond together. Yes, you do. Buffy bargains with Joyce. She'll get Xander to come over, and now Dawn is happy. So the IMD trivia and For Real Me and the DVD both pointed out something that I think most viewers know now, which is that Dawn was originally meant to be about 12 years old. And then after Michelle Trachtenberg was cast, because they liked her so much, they raised the character's age to 14. But the first few scripts were still written in the voice of a 12-year-old. The babysitter part is one of the areas where that age difference is so striking because at 14, even in today's world where I feel like we see people as children much longer than when I was growing up, I think when I was 11, I sometimes babysat for just an hour or two. Now I think that's not common, but but I think even at the time Buffy was airing, you could leave a 14-year-old alone and a 14-year-old could babysit, which is something that Dawn points out 
At 17 minutes, 9 seconds in, the doorbell rings. Dawn fixes her hair before she answers and opens it, and Xander brings in a pizza. Now we get Dawn's voiceover saying how cute and smart Xander is. He skipped college and got a job in construction, and he's so brave, and he went undercover last week to stop Dracula. So now we know the time frame of Dracula. Dawn laughs at all Xander's jokes, and she likes how he treats everyone as an equal and doesn't look down on anyone. Cue Anya to burst in the door. She has Monopoly, Clue, and Ooh, the Game of Life. A personal update on what I've been working on lately. I am continuing to plot my sixth QC Davis mystery. I think I mentioned last time this involves two interlocking mysteries. One is the kidnapping and murder of Quill's sister before Quill was born. Quill is the detective. So it's a cold case and there was another little girl killed around the same time that is linked to Quill's sister. So I don't have my major plot turns yet because I'm still sorting out not just who the killer is, but how the murders were committed and why, because all of that affects what Quill needs to learn and what she needs to do to investigate. So that's how I plot those novels by sorting out the crimes first and then looking at the plot turns There's also a subplot here. Quill is in her mid-30s, and she hasn't reached the point, at least not completely, maybe no one does completely, but, but she doesn't really see her parents as adults. She still sees them primarily through the eyes of how it was when they were raising her. And she starts this investigation to clear her parents' names because they remain suspects. I didn't initially think it was about her relationship with her parents, but I realized as I dived into the plot that clearly it is. And probably, uh, I'm certain there's personal aspects for me because I feel like I was starting to reach that phase of relating to my parents more as a grown-up when I was in my late 30s. I, I don't know, maybe that's later than most people, but we had a lot of conflicts, so it, it probably took me longer than for a lot of people to get there. And then my parents were killed when I was 41, so I feel like I never got to truly have that kind of relationship with them. And the older I get, the more I envy people who do have that opportunity which means that probably I'm trying to give my character something that I did not have. I doubt she will completely reach resolution on that, but I suspect there will be some progress. I don't have the first book in the series free anymore, but you can get the novella in the series free at lisalily.com slash novella. And you'll also get some short stories and monthly email newsletter from me with updates and some other book recommendations for mysteries and thrillers and crime novels. At 18 minutes, 20 seconds in, Tara and Willow are in their dorm room, and Tara sympathizes with Dawn feeling like an outsider. Willow intuits that Tara feels like an outsider, 
And Tara agrees she does, but it's okay. Buffy and her friends are a tight-knit group. Willow puts her arms around Tara and tells her she's completely one of the gang, and she's one of the good guys. At that, Tara's expression changes. She looks conflicted or worried, though Willow can't see her face, so doesn't catch it. And on the DVD commentary, the David said it was a challenge how to convey that something was wrong with Tara, that she doesn't feel she fits in, but you can't have Willow pick up on it. So they did it with a look when Willow said one of the good guys, and that viewers were all speculating about what that meant. So that's a great example, not so much of holding back from the audience, but signaling the audience something that the other characters don't know. The Davids also said that the Tara and Willow scene was added because the episode came in a little short and also because they did want to set up something for later about Tara. I thought that was neat that that was an added scene sometimes. I don't know for sure, but I speculate that certain scenes are filler because not much happens and maybe the episode was too short. But here, I love that scene and it was woven in so organically because Tara starts by talking about Dawn, which this whole episode is about and how Dawn feels. So it fits really well. And there's a great transition to the next scene because it ends with Willow telling Tara not to worry about Dawn. Quote, she's got big sister Buffy happily looking out for her. Close quote. And we cut to Buffy complaining to Riley in the cemetery about how Joyce went on and on to Buffy about how she's supposed to shield Dawn from things that might upset her. And Riley says, like dead shopkeepers. And Buffy says she didn't see him, a foot maybe, a dead foot, which is bad, okay. But hello, I see dead stuff all the time and you don't see mom shielding me. When Riley points out that Buffy both wants her mom to give her space to be the slayer and to protect her from things that are dangerous, Buffy responds, thank you, logic boy. Did I mention this is a rant? Sense really has no place in it. Riley tells her she's on Dawn's case a lot. Buffy knows that, and she knows it's always been this way. Dawn's the baby, but lately it's really getting to her. Dawn is always around. Riley shows a total lack of insight by saying that's because Buffy is Dawn's idol. And maybe this is intentional too. The other characters seem to completely miss how Buffy feels. Even Willow saying she's got big sis happily looking out for her. It's as if nobody notices how Buffy feels or gets the dynamic for Riley to say Buffy is Dawn's idol. There's just nothing in the episode that suggests that. But Riley argues Buffy is grown up, she's in college, she's got a boyfriend, and Buffy responds she also has a pesky life or death job she can't quit or even take a break from. And now Riley does have a point. He says Dawn doesn't get that part. She's a kid. But that's what bugs Buffy. And she says she gets to be a kid and she acts like that's the biggest burden in the world. End quote. And it makes complete sense that that's what bugs Buffy the most because she never got to be a teenager. In the backstory of the show, as opposed to the movie, Buffy found out she was the Slayer when she was a freshman in high school, ultimately got kicked out of her high school for it, came to the new school, and then the series started. So she has never gotten to be a 14-year-old girl who gets to be protected 
the way Dawn is. We are nearing the middle of the episode, and in most books, movies, television episodes, at the midpoint, the protagonist either makes a major commitment, throws caution to the wind, or suffers a major reversal. This episode is a bit unusual in that I have a hard time finding that for either Buffy or Dawn in the middle of the episode. There could be something of a commitment here for Buffy or perhaps a reversal. It, it may be both in that she recognizes at the midpoint how angry she is about Dawn and why. And she says at about 22 minutes in that sometimes she'd like to curl up in her mom's lap and be the one who's protected and waited on. And we cut directly to Dawn saying, hand and foot, getting her own way, always the favorite. Dawn is complaining to Xander and Anya as she eats ice cream and they play life. Xander, unlike Riley, is sympathetic, and he also jokes that her mom loves Dawn and Buffy equally. But if he's wrong, he finds money usually helps tip the scale and suggests Dawn slip Joyce a 10 or a 20. In voiceover, Dawn says that Xander claims to see her as a kid sister, but sometimes when he looks at her, he sees her as she is, a woman. But Dawn has chocolate ice cream all over her lips and the bottom half of her face. So a, a visual joke here that has never quite worked for me because there's so much there. It's hard to believe Dawn doesn't realize it. And at that moment, I feel bad for her. So I guess I shouldn't say I never feel sympathy for Dawn. Anya complains about being burdened with a husband and tiny pink children plus more cash than she can manage and then is thrilled when Xander explains that means she's winning. She asks, can she trade in the children for more cash, which as best as I remember, you could in fact do in the game of life. Not terribly accurate to real life. At 22 minutes 43 seconds in, a rock crashes through the window and Xander reads the note wrapped around it that says, Slayer, come out and die. Harmony yells that she knows Buffy's in there. She's waiting for her. Xander opens the door and sees Harmony with her minions. He jokes that she'll have to come back and be killed by Buffy later. And he laughs at the idea of the terrifying Harmony gang and laughs even more when she tries to get in the house and can't because she's never been invited. Xander also taunts Brad, who'd have thought that when Brad beat kids up in gym class, he'd end up being Harmony's lap dog. Harmony turns it around on Xander and says she heard that he was Dracula's lap dog, but Xander shouldn't feel bad. The mind control only works on Freddy Cat losers. This is great exposition through conflict here if anyone missed the Dracula episode. Dawn yells at Harmony to shut up. Xander says he's handling it, but then turns to Harmony and tells her to shut up. Harmony says, make me. So now we're approaching a major reversal in the vampire plot, and I suppose you could see it as a commitment of sorts. So this is late for the midpoint. We're at 24 minutes, 40 seconds in. When Xander tells Harmony he's not up for another hair pulling contest, she tells him he's the hair puller and calls him a big girl. And that's when Dawn says, oh yeah, come inside and say that. 
this, I guess, is one of the examples where Dawn is written more like a 12-year-old because she speaks without any thought of the consequences because at the invitation, Harmony goes into vamp face and tackles Xander and we cut to a commercial. Also a great hook to keep viewers returning. At 24 minutes, 50 seconds in, the minions try to follow Harmony in, but they can't. They're not invited. Harmony, though, has gotten a lot tougher, and she punches Xander hard and tells him she's been working out and learning some new tricks. In the background, Anya has grabbed a heavy lamp to crush over Harmony's head, but Harmony's also been honing her instincts, and she easily blocks it. This, though, gives Xander the chance to kick Harmony hard enough so she's out the door. He, Anya, and Dawn slam the door shut and throw all their weight against it. Harmony yells that she'll be back, and Xander tells Anya Buffy is not going to be happy about this. In the next scene, Buffy laughs and laughs at the idea of Harmony running a gang, and even more, that Harmony has minions. And Xander says, and Ruffles have ridges, and then points out that Harmony did come there to kill Buffy. That only makes Buffy laugh harder. Riley, though, trying to laugh along a little, points out that Harmony did already kill someone, the magic shop owner, so she might be a threat. And Anya chimes in, especially now that she can enter your house anytime she wants. Buffy abruptly stops laughing. She's a little confused because Anya and Xander couldn't invite Harmony in since they don't live there, and then she realizes it was Dawn. So another nice example of getting a small amount of exposition in for those who don't know or remember the vampire rules about being invited in and it's done in a very natural way as we see Buffy realizing what happened. Xander tells Buffy nobody feels worse than Dawn right now but we cut to Harmony at 26 minutes 55 seconds in saying it was a disaster. Her first plan she so wanted it to go well and it's so embarrassing she couldn't even kill Xander. But they can't go back. The surprise is ruined. And at that moment, Spike surprises the minions from behind. He wants to start a fight, but Harmony intervenes. She tries to act cool, but she also calls him Spikey, which she then amends to Spike. He tells her she looks good, and she says she feels good. They flirt a bit as they catch up. Mort, that big bulky vampire, doesn't get why Harmony's talking to Spike when he kills vampires. And Harmony says, oh yeah, what's up with that? And Spike responds, bloke's gotta have a hobby, don't he? Piss off, Mort. Harmony draws Spike aside to talk privately and tells him these vamps are her gang. And Spike says, is that what those circus freaks are? And Harmony answers, uh-huh. I mean, shut up. We're going to kill the Slayer. He is very condescending, tells her it's adorable her having a gang, and she tells him he can't handle her being her own woman, taking the next step. And she says, I found the real me, and I like her. The Davids talked about this on the DVD. The writer said he was afraid he overstated real me since both Dawn and Harmony used the phrase, but I did not notice that until I was breaking it down for the podcast, so I don't think he overused it. Harmony tells Spike she's got a plan. She won't make the mistakes he did. And he says, what, she's going to snatch one of Buffy's friends, use them as bait, lead Buffy into a trap. And Harmony Scoff says, no, her plan's way better than that, but she's not telling him. He walks off telling her to let him know how the arch villain thing goes. Harmony yells after him, I'll do that. 
that. And after Buffy is gone, I'm going to kill everybody in this town who was ever mean to me, Spike. Then she turns to her gang and excitedly says, new plan. At 30 minutes, 17 seconds in, as Buffy loads up on weapons, she rants about Dawn giving Harmony a backstage pass to kill all of them in their sleep. She's not soothed when Xander tells her Willow will come back and do the spell to keep Harmony out. She probably still has supplies from last week. Buffy says it's not like Dawn hasn't grown up in this house knowing all the rules, especially number one, don't invite vampires in. So now we know that Dawn did grow up in this house. We know that for sure. She wasn't away living with her dad. For those of us like me who still weren't quite getting it, And it's interesting how late we get that clarification. So that goes with that in media rest idea. We are in the middle of things and the episode doesn't add in some helpful exposition through conflict to explain why early in the episode. And even now, we don't know why. We just have confirmation that, yes, Dawn grew up in the Summers household. Dawn is listening in upstairs as Xander argues that people slip like Joyce inviting Dracula in. Buffy is a little awkward now, probably remembering that she was under Dracula's thrall, as was Xander. So she softens a little bit in her ranting, but she still sticks to her guns and says that was different. Joyce didn't know Dracula was a vampire. Dawn upstairs rolls her eyes when Riley says she's just a kid. And Buffy's not having any of that either. She was a kid when she met her first vampire and somehow she remembers the rules. And she disagrees when Riley points out that was her job. And and Buffy says, no, it was common sense. But no one expects even that from Dawn. She has to be cuddled and protected. And they're doing nothing but, quote, turning her into a little idiot who's going to get us all killed. End quote. Now, in a moment, Buffy's going to clarify why she's so angry, but Dawn runs off and doesn't hear that part. And this is a technique I really hate in writing. If you remember at the beginning of season three, that was used where Buffy overheard Joyce say to her friend Pat that in some ways, or I think she just says it was easier when Buffy was gone and Buffy misses the part of where Joyce says something like, because she doesn't know how to reach Buffy or she thought everything would be fine if Buffy just came home and it's more complicated. So just as with that, here Dawn misses the next part where Buffy says she just has to be more careful. I can't be there to protect her 24 hours a day. I just can't. So we in the audience see that a lot of Buffy's anger is because she really can't always be there and she's worried about Dawn, but Dawn doesn't hear that. Now we're reaching the three-quarter point of the episode. Usually here or about two-thirds through to three-quarters through, we'll see the last major plot turn. It should grow from the midpoint and spin the story in yet another new direction. Because our midpoint wasn't quite as clear, it's 
harder to say how this grows from the midpoint, but we definitely do have a turn in the story here. At 32 minutes, seven seconds in, Dawn races past Anya because she's so upset. She runs through the kitchen and outside, so doubling down on her bad choices. Anya follows her, tries to drag her back in, and Dawn fights Anya, and Anya tells her it's not safe. Mort says, you got that right, and knocks Anya back inside. Anya is unconscious, and the gang drags Dawn away. On the nonfiction side, I haven't decided what book to write yet, but I am almost done recording all the sections of my online course, How to Plot Your Novel from Idea to First Draft. Does that mean it's going to be available right away? No, I still need to do some editing and I want to find some beta testers who would get the course free if they will answer some questions at the end on how to make it better. And if it's helpful, which obviously I hope it will be, write, uh, be willing to do a testimonial or a quote about the course. I'll be asking the Writing as a Second Career email list members if they want to do that. I'm going to limit it to likely five or ten beta testers, but if you think you might want to be one, the best way is to join that list. It's at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story, and you'll also get free story structure worksheets. Then just reply to the email that provides the worksheets and tell me you'd like to be a beta tester. Or you can direct message me on Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly. L-I-S-A, Emerson Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, or keep an eye on the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page, which you can get to through lisalilly.com slash Facebook. If we see the midpoint as Buffy recognizing her anger at Dawn and why, I suppose this could be growing out of the midpoint because her rant to Xander and and Riley is a continuation of that and that's what Dawn overhears which sparks her to run out of the house and it definitely arises from that reversal of letting Harmony into the house. This is a very clear turn in the story. I don't love it because it employs another technique or horror trope really that I don't love and that Buffy usually avoids which is having a character act in a way that no sensible person would in order to drive the plot. I understand Dawn is terribly upset and distraught and seen through the lens of she was written in the early episodes as a 12-year-old. Okay, maybe she would do this, but it it adds to that feeling of why did the writers, in my view, want us to not like Dawn? Had Dawn at least gone to the window maybe to cry and look out and not hear what Buffy was saying anymore and Harmony grabbed her out of her room through the window, uh, that would would feel more believable to me that Dawn would not be thinking about being so close to the window. That though, in a way, would make it Buffy's fault for not keeping an eye on Dawn when she knows Harmony can get in. So probably we don't want that. Regardless, we cut to a commercial. So it is another great hook before the commercial to have Dawn taken away and in peril. 
When we return at 32 minutes, 41 seconds in, Anya tells the others the vampires took Dawn. Harmony in her lair claps her hands and congratulates her minionators. Mort doesn't get her sarcasm about whether he made their guests comfortable. And Brad wants to know when do they eat the girl. Harmony says they don't. The plan is using the little sister as bait, sending Buffy a note to lure her to the lair and then killing Buffy. Now the minions all start questioning Harmony. More notes? Mort points out they can eat the girl now so long as the Slayer thinks they have her. They surround Harmony, closing in on her. And I feel sorry for her as she struggles. She's saying that's not the plan. And they finally stop questioning her. We cut to Spike. He's hitting the TV. There's static on it and mumbling to himself that he might have to buy a satellite dish. Buffy kicks in the door and Spike says, well, speaking of dishes, to what do I owe this unpleasant surprise? Buffy tells him she has no time for banter and she punches him until he tells her where Harmony is. After he does, she punches him again, and Spike says, Ow, I was telling you the truth. And Buffy says, I know, and stalks out. We cut to Harmony pacing and sharing her frustration with Dawn, who is chained to the wall. Harmony says they pretend to respect her, but deep down they don't. She put this gang together, and they treat her like she's nothing. Dawn says she understands a little when Harmony asks if Dawn has any idea what that feels like. This is part of why we like Harmony as a character, or I like her. I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody. She shows her vulnerability, and she tries so hard. As Harmony talks about all the pressure on her, she has to make all the hard decisions. Mort and the others surround her again. They don't like the plan, and they have a new one. They'll feed on the girl and kill Harmony. Harmony, her voice breaking, says she needs a little more time to grow into her leadership role. And Mort responds, time's up, and punches Harmony. Brad approaches Dawn, who tells him something like, touch me and my sister's going to kill you. He laughs and pokes her with one finger. At 36 minutes in, Buffy stakes him from behind and says, can't say she didn't warn him. Harmony says to Mort, and you didn't like the plan. She walks toward Buffy and says, so, Slayer, at last we meet. And Buffy answers, we've met Harmony, you half-wit. But Harmony just laughs and points out that Buffy's fallen into her. But before she can finish, one vamp and then another attacks Buffy. And Buffy, using the giant axe she brought with, easily beheads them both as Harmony finishes trap. Now we are reaching the climax. That's where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the main conflict. At 37 minutes, 44 seconds in, Dawn yells to Buffy to watch out just before Mort attacks from behind. Harmony cheers Mort on, telling him, good shot, and he glares at her. She giggles and takes off. Mort's a strong foe and a good fighter. He gets the better of Buffy a couple times as Dawn watches and cringes. Then, as Mort's holding Buffy up by the throat, she spots a painted wooden unicorn the size of a rocking horse or a small bike near her feet. She kicks Mort, does a backflip, grabs the unicorn, and stakes Mort with the horn. Then Buffy rolls her eyes at the gutty unicorn as she catches her breath. Now we're in the falling action where we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. Though, if we see Dawn versus Buffy as the main plot, I suppose you could see this as part of the climax. 
Buffy grabs the axe and she hacks off Dawn's chains as she tells Dawn how much trouble she'll be in when they get home. Dawn responds that she's telling mom that Buffy slayed in front of her. Buffy rattles off all the things Dawn did wrong. She ran out of the house in the middle of the night, got Anya hurt, invited a vampire in. Buffy is still talking as we cut to an exterior shot of the Summer's house. But when she and Dawn talk to Joyce, who has just returned home, Buffy says it was all okay. Buffy got the vamps and they watch some TV and Dawn doesn't contradict her. At 39 minutes 56 seconds in, Dawn writes in her journal as she sits at a table in the magic shop and we get her voiceover again. She says Buffy probably would have gotten in more trouble than Dawn would, but it was pretty okay of Buffy not to say anything. And we also find out Anya will be okay and Xander is not mad at Dawn. Buffy asks Giles, is he sure about buying the magic shop? She points out that most of the owners have the life expectancy of a spinal tap drummer. Plus, has he run a store before? But Giles claims it's just like a library. Only people will pay him for the things they don't return. So this is another game changer for the season. We talked last episode about the game changer of Dawn appearing. So it's something that changes the world going forward though we don't know how yet and this one didn't happen in one dramatic moment the way the dawn reveal did it evolved through the episode but it will still change things going forward Giles also argues that owning the shop will keep all of you lot from trampling through his flat and there might be a space for training in the back. Buffy comments he's really thought this through just how bored was he last year and Giles says, I watched Passions with Spike. Let us never speak of it again. Minor spoiler about Passions. I love that there is this running theme about Spike watching Passions in the show. We we hear him comment on it a number of times. And I don't remember if it happened yet. There's some point where he talks with Joyce about Passions and they bond over it. Buffy follows Giles into the back to look at the possible training area. But then she returns to tell Dawn not to break anything. She disappears into the back again, but then pops out to say, just don't touch anything. And then the third time she comes out, Buffy says, what you're doing right now, not moving, good. Keep doing that. Dawn keeps writing. She says Buffy never changes. She still thinks Dawn is little Miss Nobody, just her dumb little sister. And Dawn writes, quote, boy, is she in for a surprise, close quote. And she says it in this sort of chilling voice and that's the end of the episode one thing i struggled with while outlining this episode for the podcast and it's part of what makes it harder to spot the major plot turns is that it is unclear to me who the protagonist is a protagonist should actively pursue a goal throughout the story should be the main point of view character and should have the most at stake. Those are general rules. They don't always apply, but they are a a good guide for creating a strong protagonist and for figuring out who the protagonist is in a work of fiction. How do these apply here? First, does Dawn have an active 
goal, while she does want to maybe prevail over Buffy or prove a point to Buffy, convince Buffy and everyone else to take her seriously and see her as a grown-up. So that is a goal. Buffy's goal starts as dealing with Dawn as she begins her quest to learn more about being a slayer. And that goal shifts to finding the vampires who killed the magic shop owner and then to protecting Dawn. So both of them are active. Buffy's goals are more clear. I think that point of view leans toward Dawn just because it's rare to get so much of another character's point of view and particularly to get a character's interior thoughts. Then who has the most at stake? Dawn emotionally has the most at stake or at least equally with Buffy. She feels overlooked ignored and then her life is at stake. Buffy too has a lot going on emotionally here though it's more in the nature of annoyance or frustration or irritation at dawn. If you dig deeper however it is her place in her friends lives, her relationship with her mother, though she doesn't know it all of that has changed and she's struggling with that. So there, there is a lot at stake for Buffy emotionally. In terms of the action plot, the vampire plot, Buffy for herself has the same at stake as she always does as she slays, but there is the additional pressure of needing to protect Dawn. I feel like this prong of the three-prong protagonist analysis is pretty equally weighted because it's hard to say clearly which of these two is the protagonist. I see this almost as two complementary main plots rather than one being the main plot and one being a subplot. If I had to choose because of the point of view, I'd say Dawn's is the main plot, which raises the question, who is the antagonist? The antagonist's one job is to oppose the protagonist. So if Dawn's the protagonist, then Buffy is the antagonist. Yes, Harmony is her antagonist later, but Harmony's goal isn't to oppose Dawn, it's to kill Buffy. Dawn most likely sees Buffy as her antagonist. We hear that she feels Buffy gets more attention and kudos from everybody and everybody likes Buffy and they shouldn't. She sees Joyce as favoring Buffy, though objectively that doesn't seem to be the case. But who is objective when they think about their siblings and their parents? In Buffy's plot, Harmony and the gang are antagonists for the action plot. But Dawn is the antagonist in Buffy's emotional plot. And in a lot of ways, Dawn opposes Buffy more directly than Buffy opposes Dawn. Buffy's opposition to Dawn is more a reaction to Dawn suddenly being in her life. But Dawn actively makes Buffy's life as a slayer more difficult, like when she drops the crystals, uh, when she invites Harmony in, when she runs out of the house. Now, she isn't purposely doing that to make Buffy's life hard, but it is a more active way of opposing Buffy. This intertwining of these plots is part of what 
doesn't work as well for me in this story. Though we've seen some intertwining plots before in the episode Angel. We had a plot from Buffy's point of view and one from Angel's point of view about their relationship that were equally strong. And we had, as best I remember, I'd have to go back to the episode. I think I also talked about a plot from the master's point of view. So that can be done. That was a super strong episode. And I suspect why this one doesn't work as well is my struggle with John as a character and that those plot turns get a little bit muddled. In Angel, they were very clear. Something the Davids said in commentary about Dawn, they did acknowledge that the 12-year-old voice for Dawn snuck in a bit too much. And they talked about how Dawn is 14, the age when Buffy was called as a slayer. And in one way, she ought to be as sophisticated as Buffy was when we saw her, but they wanted a dynamic of difference. They didn't want to write Dawn, uh, these are my words, but as a mini Buffy. That makes sense to me. As a viewer, I feel like perhaps they went too far at trying to make Dawn not worldly like Buffy or not sophisticated like Buffy. A couple other things from the commentary. They also talked about Dawn having a crush on Xander, and I think it was the writer who said this, might have been the director, said, well, who wouldn't have a crush on Xander? Quote, this really funny, sweet guy, close quote. If we look at Xander only from this episode, I agree. In this episode, Xander is funny and sweet. He is sympathetic to Dawn while remaining loyal to Buffy. The fact that they see Xander this way overall, though, points to a, a sort of blindness by the show as a whole as to some of the terrible things Xander says and does. The Davids also said that they struggled with what would Harmony be like as the leader of a gang and settled on prom committee organizer. So she's always giving everyone rounds of applause. And I couldn't help thinking, as fun as that is, I love seeing Harmony, I love her vulnerability, and I think that choice and the fact that this approach fails for Harmony speaks a lot to perceptions of women in leadership. I am not saying all women would approach leadership the way Harmony does, but there is a implicit judgment in the comments and in the way the story plays out that you cannot be a leader and be supportive of your team. You can't be a cheerleader for your team, that that weakens you and it annoys your team members but perhaps they're only commenting on being a leader for vampires. So that is it for the breakdown of the episode, other than foreshadowing. I hope you will stick around, but if not, thank you so much for listening. And please come back in two weeks for the next episode, The Replacement, where a demon attacks and takes over Xander's life. Or does he? And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. The biggest foreshadowing that doesn't happen is that line at the end, boy, is she in for a surprise. I guess I can't say it doesn't happen. Buffy certainly is surprised when she finds out Dawn is this mystical key that the monks inserted into her life. So there is a surprise. But 
Dawn at this point does not know what she is, and she says it in this villain voice. And that never plays out. And I feel like this whole episode, in that sense, doesn't play fair with the audience. It gives us the impression that Dawn is evil, and it is acted and directed as if Dawn is evil, and she's not. If you just did the line as, boy, is she in for a surprise in a more 12-year-old girl or 14-year-old girl voice, then I think it would be fair because, yes, Buffy is in for a surprise, and it could mean that Dawn is just plotting yet another way to plague Buffy. It reminds me of toward the end of season six when Spike takes off, leaves Sunnydale and says something like that bitch will get what's coming to her. And he says that again to this demon that he goes to and we get the impression Spike is trying to get his chip taken out and instead the demon returns his soul. I like that twist but Spike's menace is so clear two of the times he says that that there's no way that you could read it as maybe he's going to get his soul back. You don't have to tip off the viewers that he wants to get his soul back. There's nothing wrong with having something that can be read two ways. I love that. And to have a number of other factors that make the viewer think that, no, he's he's going to get the chip out. As long as when surprise, it's the soul, you look back and it still works. That's the really artful way to do that. And it's frustrating to me when the show doesn't play fair. Partly because Buffy normally is so good at that and so well-constructed that I, I feel like they shouldn't have to rely on that. One fun foreshadowing is harmony and self-help. I love that throughout the episode, she's talking about personal development, getting to know herself and liking herself. And in Angel, so spoilers for Angel, but there's one where she goes over to Angel and she is wanting to be on the side of the good guys and help Angel and Cordelia. And instead, she ends up, oh, this does spoil the ending. So fast forward if you don't want anything from Angel spoiled. She goes ahead and instead joins this self-improvement cult, which is sort of like a multi-level marketing scheme, bringing humans turn to to vampires and feed the rest and if everyone turns to vampires and they turn to vampires they'll have this giant cult of vampires and she ends up joining it and that so fits with harmony and her love of self-help because the whole thing has a big empowerment of vampires message a fun acting foreshadowing, the actor who plays Cirrus is Tom Lank, who will later play Andrew, one of the three nerds in season six, the one whose name no one can ever remember. An interesting thing from IMDb that I did not know, it says the character of Dawn was originally intended to have the power to speak to the dead or be able to move objects with her mind, and these powers were later dropped. I find that so interesting. I, I would love to have seen what they thought they might do with that. Of course, Tara, the uh, troubled look when Willow says she's one of the good guys, foreshadows the episode Family, where we find out why Tara doesn't feel like part of the group and doesn't feel like a good guy because her family has tricked her into thinking she is part demon. Another fun foreshadowing, I love Spike's line when he's 
thinking about getting a satellite dish and Buffy walks in and he says, speaking of dishes, I never ever noticed that and what a great foreshadowing for Spike discovering that he has fallen for Buffy. That's it for the foreshadowing and spoilers for this episode. I hope you will come back in two weeks for The Replacement, where Xander grapples with internal and external demons. Remember, you can find back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story and add your comments about them at lisalilly.com. That's L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y dot com slash Buffy Story. Or on my YouTube channel, go to lisalilly.com slash YouTube. And you can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Thank you.